I don't have to like something, but strategically does it deliver about against where the brand needs to go? And that's all that matters. And so if we move away from my brand is my trophy and that emotional component of my brand is my trophy, my brand is my child, and move towards, I want this brand to really deliver brilliance and excellence in the marketplace. Then we focus in on those things that are going to truly be more important, more relevant to the end user rather than relevant to the founder. Welcome to the Franchise Founders Podcast. We are on a mission to help aspiring entrepreneurs just like you take action through franchise ownership, allowing you to obtain more financial freedom, time with family, and ultimately a business that can run on its own without you. If you're an entrepreneur, whether you're starting a new business, you're starting a franchise system, branding is an area of your business so many of us forget about. We don't put a priority on it. And in my experience as a business owner and entrepreneur, what I've learned is just like I trust my doctor for advice on my health and I trust my lawyer for advice on legal, branding is its own separate entity, its own separate brain share of knowledge that some people have and expertise. And what you'll learn in this episode of the Franchise Founders Podcast is some takeaways on how to set your brand up to win. We have the pleasure of having Gary De Jesus on the podcast today, a friend of mine, someone I've met over the years, but especially recently. Gary, how are you today? I'm well, thanks, Dan. How are you? Doing pretty good. It's Wednesday. One of my best friends is getting married. Friday, so we've got the rehearsal dinner tomorrow. So short week for me, for sure. And then that means Saturday is probably a scenario where you're recovering. And Sunday, you're kind of trying to get back to into it so that you can hit it back on Monday hard. Sunday will have to be the recovering because... So as we record this, it's the second day after Labor Day. So we had a Monday off, Tuesday, Wednesday work, and then I'm pretty much off tomorrow and Friday. And then we have another wedding Saturday. Oh. So Sunday will have to be couch day. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's funny, Dan. I actually have a wedding this weekend too for one of my best friends growing up. So Is it the same wedding? Yeah, same wedding. Yeah, probably. Unless you're coming to California, but probably not. But that's awesome. And dude, by the way, that intro was amazing. We should probably do that more often. Well, if you're listening before we get into the actual podcast, that's what we're going to start doing, right? Those intros where it tells our audience here that's listening about the podcast. Hopefully... uh our editor will put some cool music behind that. And that's what you'll be hearing moving forward. Love it. Anyway, enough about us, Gary. I'm missing my coffee mug. You guys have coffee mugs there. I probably needed to bring one. It's a requirement next time. I should have let you know. <laughs> We've got to start shipping our guests, franchise founders, coffee mugs. We do. Good idea. Well, awesome, Gary. So thanks for coming on, man. For those of us, obviously, that don't know much about your background, rather than us spit out some written out bio for you, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and how you got into franchising and what your background is? Sure. So as you can tell by the snow on the top of the head, I am not a spring chicken. In fact, this chicken has been laying out on the counter for a while. So let's be clear. But at the end of the day, I'm born and raised in New York. I've lived in Brooklyn, Staten Island. Went to undergrad at Harvard. I was a linebacker at Harvard and a biology major. And as every linebacker and biology major does from Harvard, I went into fashion retail at Macy's. 
went into buying line at Macy's and I did that for seven years. From there, I went and I got my master's at NYU and Procter & Gamble hired me from there. So I moved out to Cincinnati as many individuals who move out to Cincinnati and Procter do. We create these three-year plans where we say, okay, we're going to stay for three years and then we're going to go back to home to where we come from. Well, I wound up staying six three-year plans later. I wound up leaving P&G. So I spent 18 years with P&G, did a lot of fun things, everything from working and helping to resurrect old brands like the Crisco's of the world to developing new brands in developing markets and developed markets to developing new go-to-market capabilities in developing markets and developed markets. And then lastly, I spent my last amount of time with them. You know how in Outliers, Gladwell talks about if you spend 10,000 hours on something, you become an expert. Well, I spent eight years or 16,000 hours on understanding how the brain works and how do you influence the brain in marketing to develop word of mouth and how do you get people to talk about your brand. Realized back then that I really loved the innovation space. I loved the new space. So I decided to leave. I went to an agency for a couple of years, really didn't enjoy agency life. I was still too much of a client to be a client service person. Then I wound up teaching at a local university. and I still live in Cincinnati at a local university out here, but I put out a shingle. That's when I got into franchising. It was kind of funny. There was some folks from a company called St. Gregory Development Group, who at that time, they were the largest franchise development organization in the U.S. And they had heard me working with students. They actually did a project with a, a advanced market research professor, and he invited me in to just talk to students about how do you take strategy or learning and turn it into strategy. And I was chatting with the students and so on. And one of the founders of St. Gregory pulled me aside and says, how do you develop a brand? And I was just like, okay, that's just probably one of the most broad questions I've ever heard in my life. But I literally took him back to my office. I had three whiteboards and I basically whiteboarded the entire process for him. He says, okay, you got to meet my partner. And at that point I met another gentleman. And from basically April, 2014, I started to work on a franchise and I helped to basically develop Cycle Bar. And Cycle Bar was conceived in April of 2014 and launched in the marketplace um, in October of 2014. And so we were able to go from, it was just a name to everything developed in six months, actually less than six months. And so we started working and I guess they saw the value of what I brought. And so I started working across many different brands and I started working across oh, health and wellness brands um, to eventually started going into service brands and so on. So I've worked across a variety of different brands over since 2014. So now what, eight years later, I've probably worked across huh, 40 different brands, 30 to 40 different brands in the franchise space. Some of them I work a little bit longer with, some of them it's just taking them through understanding who they are as a brand. But that's me and my background. I have a spouse and this will be our 30th year wedding anniversary. I have a 26-year-old son and a 23-year-old daughter. And that's basically it. That's a long story. I love that. I think a helpful place to start then for most people, you know, dumb people like me who, when you say brand development, I'm like, what does that mean? What does that entail? So can we define what that is exactly? 
So when we talk about brand development and we talk about branding, it really comes down to what do you stand for? Or what do you want to stand for out in the marketplace? Right. And it's really not just understanding it from your standpoint, but also looking at the customer or the target audience and saying, what do they want and what do they need from this brand? So it's really meshing what the founder wants with what the customer or the end user is going to want to create a holistic point of view of how the brand should represent itself in the marketplace. Once it goes and does that, and again, I call that brand DNA. And I go through a whole series of process, you know, and actually Dan has just recently gone through it with a new brand that he's launching called Franchise Playbook, which is going to be really cool, by the way. But that said, we go through a series of questions, milestones, development pieces that all have to mesh back to what the brand really wants to stand for or the brand's purpose based off of the strategic target that it focuses in on. And I don't talk about media targets, but those are easy. But I talk about really getting into the head and the heart of the person that you want to be able to help or develop or create value towards in your business proposition. There are so many different pieces and layers to this. And you know, Dan will attest, it becomes a little mentally taxing. But at the end of it, you come to a place where your eyes go and say, oh, that's a little bit different than what I initially thought, but cool. That's my brand. My brand is more robust than I really thought it was. And that's what I really look at working with folks, to get folks to understand that their brand has more possibilities and stop pigeonholing your brand into something that you have or are thinking about. And too many times, the other thing I try and teach folks is, or work with folks on, and I know Dan likes this part, because I've told it to him over and again and told to everybody, I really don't care what you like. If you're a founder and you say, I like this, and I look at you and say, that's nice, good share. And the reason why I say that is because you are a small subset. You're an N of one. What you like is useless. What your end user is going to buy, that's important. And so unless you tell me as an individual that your N of one represents your strategic target, which it doesn't because nobody really fits into their strategic target, then like is just a useless word. But too many people use that term. And again, it's kind of funny. I kind of use that against them and have fun with it. It's interesting because, you know, Christian, to walk you through this, like I heard Gary on Eric Van Horn's podcast and was just really interested in what he had to say. And we had already met a bunch of times. And I look at St. Gregory as, you know, working there and having that experience. And I knew for this brand, for Franchise Playbook, we had a unique role because we're building, it's not a broker group, it's not an FSO. We're really just a franchise consultant, but we have to appeal to a couple different uh, target audiences and that balancing act was challenging for me. And after having sold uh, my last business and saying, one, it was a great company. It's a great company of people there. But more times than not, I felt like the smartest guy in the room. And in this company, I wanted to have the smartest people in each area of the business. And it's challenging though, the exercise we did, because as a founder, you want the business to be you. And so I came to Gary with the initial sketches of what Playbook was going to be. And it was not our target audience. I defined our target audience. And then I showed him my vision. And it was me. It was cold. It was minimalist type of furniture. If you think of New York City and you think of fast pace, 
And literally our target audience and the brand I started to create was completely juxtaposed, right? So Gary came in and we did this exercise. And what's amazing, if you're listening to this and you're thinking about doing a branding exercise, we chose to do it Friday evening and all of Saturday. So this little branding boot camp. And during the process, I kind of felt like, what? No offense. What the hell am I doing here? Like, is this going to work? Because you got to let go and you got to trust that this process will work. And I'm just so fascinated by how you take all of that and the brand DNA and the Brad Pyramid and all of this guidelines and put together a cohesive brand at the end. It's it's a really cool experience. Yeah, and I do leverage. And so Christians, you understand, because again, obviously Dan's just recently been through it, but I leverage a lot of psychology and cognitive science to apply to because it really has to come down to getting into the brain and heart of your target audience and what do they truly value and what motivates them to take action. And then how does the brand deliver against that? But not just how the brand delivers against that. How does the brand deliver against that in a way that differentiates them from others, right? Too many times we talk about key differentiators and a lot of folks want to talk about, oh, I'm better than. That's nice. Good for you. I'm happy for you. Yippee-ki-yay. But that's useless because everybody says that they're better than everybody else. And the old adage, if everybody's better than everybody else, then nobody's better than anybody else. Right? It goes back to the movie Elf when he walks into the coffee shop in Manhattan and goes, congratulations, you finally did it. Right? Or you did it. And it says, world's best cup of coffee. Right? It's kind of a joke. And so it pushes folks to understand either A, what they have in their brand that truly they own. Nobody else can say it. Or B, create those things in their brand that they can truly own and nobody else can say it. And so we focus in on that, but it all has to co fundamentally dive back to something we call the brand purpose. And the brand purpose is what do you want to stand for? And basically, what's the value or the intrinsic value that you're delivering to your end user, your strategic target? Everything has to feed back to that and pay homage to your brand purpose. So yeah. as we talk about building a brand and what does brand development do, now once we go do that, everything, I look at operations, we look at marketing, we look at all the pieces that go and say, are we paying homage to our brand DNA? It becomes that lens by which we look at and say, are we going and developing a consistent approach across everything we do strategically that's going to deliver this brand in the way that our end users are going to value. And so it's a very important part. And that's why I call it brand development rather than marketing. Yes, I do marketing. Yes. But, you know, when I developed FC Cincinnati, my first thing was not just developing the brand. It was also developing operations, finance, and so on. And they all had to mesh together. So that's what I talk about brand development. Every function meshes together to deliver the brand in the way that is appreciative value to the end user. So what does the process typically look like? So you run through that exercise with Dan, for example. Then what are the next steps? I mean, what's step one, two, and three? And how do you guide someone through that process? And I'm sure there's a ton of blind spots where you know this is kind of what they think is the vision and the value they want to communicate. But how do you help them figure out what really is that key differentiator that they have that really does separate them from everybody else? Because sometimes you're just too close as the founder and you don't have that bird's eye third-party perspective that's super valuable. 
Well, I think a key component of it is really working with the founders so that they can be objective rather than subject, right? And the second component of it is also going through and doing a little bit of diligence and saying, okay, these are the other brands that are in your environment, in your industry, in your category. And by the way, they're all saying the same thing, right? Or you have to be a little bit diligent in saying, okay, isn't this just basically an industry standard? Is this not like McDonald's saying hot, fresh coffee when Starbucks is the leader in it? Of course, it's going to be hot, fresh coffee because the alternative is stupid. So ultimately, right, because nobody wants cold, stale coffee. Well, maybe some people do. I personally am not a big fan of stale coffee. But that all said, you have to work with the founder to get them to objectively look at their business versus competition so that you can carve that unique space in the world. Now, a key reason for that is there's an absolutely brilliant book called Blue Ocean Strategy written by two professors, Kim and Malburn. And I do caution folks, if you've not read it before, absolutely brilliant strategy book. But it also reads like a textbook. Remember, these were written by professors. So it reads like a textbook, not the easiest read to go off and do. But it really talks about this whole concept of finding that differentiating space, that place that you can call your own so you can swim in this blue ocean free of. Red ocean is where everybody is slogging it out and they're basing everything on price or they're all talking about the same things. So it's a battle, constant battle. Why would you want to swim in a red ocean? Find that blue ocean that truly is unique and different. Now, once we go off and do that, there are other things that we go off and do to help bring it to life, whether it be leveraging trademarks, right? Or, you know, creating marks as a result of it so that you can own it for much longer periods of time. But it really does get to starting with the founder, getting them to objectively look, looking at the category, looking at the industry see where you are positioned as a result, but also delivering. Once we consider, once we complete the DNA, then we have to look at the existing mark, logo, color schemes, so even font selections, and we have to say critically, okay, if your look tone feel is this, you're really delivering this look based on this mark, you know, and it was great because Dan would say early on, you know, what do you think of my current logo? And I said, let's wait till we get to brand character. And once we got to brand character and we got halfway through the process, then we looked at it and said, "Uh, is your look really warm? Okay. And there was obvious. These are things that were not coming through. And it became very obvious too. But Dan was easier. I got to tell you that Dan was one of the more easy clients to go through because he understood intellectually, what was going on. I've had many, many clients. Well, I shouldn't say many, many. I've had several clients, honestly, who they got so caught up in some component of their logo that they couldn't let it go, even though it made their logo look juvenile or goofy and didn't deliver against what they wanted to do. And it became too emotional for them. So it's that balance, but you got to get folks to then look at their brand, look at their logo, look at their colors. And then we start to look at website. Are the things starting to come to life? Are your differentiators part of your web development? You start to look at presentations. You start to look at every single element there and start to say, okay, does this make sense based off of this DNA that was created? And that's where you work with a lot of folks who will bring that to life. I think the other part is 
And Dan did a great job with this. And I know that there was some discomfort. Not everybody on the team is going to initially buy off on the change. Sometimes you're going to have folks on a team that may not necessarily appreciate it and don't want change. So you're going to have to navigate through change resistance. There are going to be folks that are going to understand it, appreciate it, jump all over it. And there's going to be maybe one or two folks on a team that you have to work with to get to on that same page. You know, just to give you an example, like payback on what you're saying, Gary, what I had in this experience was one, already identifying that my past business, I was too attached to it in every sense. And then after having an exit and saying, wow, like a business should really run completely separate from you. And so for me, some business owners, maybe graphic design or logo design or branding is there something in their wheelhouse that's not mine. I wanted to delegate that. But you know, in our business, we have every department from finance to legal to operations to sales to marketing and now to branding. And that's pretty much everything. Each department's owned by one person and I'm not the owner of that area. I mean, what I found with those disagreements from the team, which is great because it means your team cares, right? It's a startup business, but it's not me. Talk to Gary. I don't know. I'm not the brand expert. So I'm kidding around, but there's an ability to kind of shift some of that control to the people on your team. But what I found with doing this exercise was the logo is almost like a tenth of what matters. You know, you might look at a logo and you feel like, oh, I don't like it. Like you said, if for us, we wanted to be warm, our look was warm, our tone optimistic and makes you feel at peace, right? So those are our DNA. And so the logo needed to do that. And that's all that really matters. It's not if it's cool or if you like it, it doesn't matter. It's what is going to inspire the end user to engage with your brand. And the last thing I'll say about this was I had to have someone on my own team and Gary too, remind me that I had been a supplier, really on the supplier side in the industry for six years. And that this business, we're a franchise coaching business. We're just helping people purchase a franchise. Our end user is not everyone at the IFA and the springboards and at the conferences and on, you know, my LinkedIn community. That's all great and all. But the money for us is coming from helping people purchase a franchise. And so Gary helped me get myself out of trying to brand for the industry and more importantly, brand for the end user. You know what I mean? Like that target audience that we're going after. And in retrospect, it's easy to understand, but through that process, it's not easy as a founder. The key there, though, and I've seen this a lot, is if for many times for founders, their brand is their trophy, right? They want it, it's their trophy, they put it up and they've earned this trophy. And I think people forget that their brand is actually not their trophy, their brand is their business. And this business has to be attractive, not to them, it has to be attractive to the end users. I tell people all the time, in many, many, many years of looking at, whether it be graphic design or advertising or insert any kind of stuff, there are so many things I've looked at and said, personally, I really do not like this, but strategically makes complete sense. It is in line with what the brand is supposed to be delivering, and it delivered with brilliance. I don't have to like something. But strategically, does it deliver about against where the brand needs to go? And that's all that matters. And so if we move away from my brand is my trophy and that emotional component of my brand is my trophy, my brand is my child, and move towards I want this brand to really deliver brilliance and excellence in the marketplace, then we focus in on those things that are going to truly be more important, more relevant to the end user rather than relevant to the founder. 
If you're enjoying this episode, please click the subscribe button. And make sure to connect with the Franchise Founders Podcast on LinkedIn. Yeah, I think sometimes what happens is the founder gets super attached to the logo. It's their baby. It's their creative genius. And sometimes what I think it really is at its core is just ego in a lot of cases. You know, and what they say is ego is not your amigo. So it's something that I think that you have to check yourself on and be aware of because at the end of the day, what do you care more about? Do you care more about what your logo looks like or do you care about how the brand is actually perceived by the end user that you're trying to communicate the value to and your business itself and how it performs? Yeah, and that's exactly right. What I'll also tell you is is that you take that same analogy, this is your child, and now you conceive this child and you love this child. But the question you always have to ask yourself is, if you're going to homeschool, great, good for you. That's fantastic. You'll keep it one way. But if you're going to go off and not, and you want to send your child to the best schools, you want to make sure that your child is developing the best way that they can. You may believe it's homeschooling, fantastic. Or you may believe that it's private schooling or public school. It doesn't really matter. You have to look at it as the child's development. And how do we get the child to go and grow up to be an adult that truly is delivering in the marketplace what you want to deliver against? Not look at it as this little porcelain doll. And we got to get away from looking at our businesses as little porcelain dolls as keepsakes rather than, I do like the child analogy because it is right. A child is born and then it develops. And what's the path by which we're going to take that child so that that child could be as successful as possible? Yeah, I think on that same note, what's interesting is I do love that analogy because sometimes parents, if you have like that helicopter mom or helicopter dad that's constantly hovering over the child, it almost has a reverse effect where they push back on the parents where they rebel a little bit and it doesn't turn out the way that they want it to. And they don't develop in a way that is conducive to a successful, prosperous, and happy life. So I think that analogy makes a ton of sense. Yeah, it's kind of helicopter parents is right. You know, soccer mom, soccer dad, it's the right analogy because everything is about pushing along that direction. At the end of the day, that doesn't help child development or brand evolving, you know, to another level. I think too, like it depends on the business you're in, right? If you're a founder that solve the problem for yourself, which isn't always the case, right? There's plenty of times you solve a problem for someone else. So if you're a founder that solved right. the problem for yourself, maybe you're your target market. And it, maybe you're, it makes sense that your brand fits you. For me, I'm not our target market. So what I want is not what matches our ideal. We have it down to a laser focus who our target audience is. So I think that's important too. If you launch the brand that you're the customer, then that might be a different scenario than not. Agreed. But even from that standpoint, I mean, yes, you're not the necessarily strategic target of franchise playbook, but even those brands where the founder is solving their own problem, they're only one type of problem within a group of a larger subset of people who have varied forms of a problem that could be solved by that brand. But if you're only laser focused on, on your problem, you'll only have a tiny subset of what the brand's possibilities really could be if we really start to think about the brand in a much better scope or bigger scope. Something that was mentioned earlier that I want to go back to a little bit and dive deeper on was the connection between branding, brand development, and the way that it's delivered through operations and finance. I mean, how does that connection happen? And how is the operations side of things relevant? Because you think of that as behind the scenes, 
not the front-facing superficial layer of what the business is, but it's all the stuff that happens to deliver the product or service. So how does that all connect with the brand? You're exactly right. I mean, at the end of the day, operations, finance, all the functions need to come together because they all influence what the end user sees, feels, touches, right? So let's say, for example, there's a desire from brand folks or marketing folks to create a new service, right? Or a new flank of service or a new addition to a service, but it can't get executed with brilliance and or nor can the pricing on it deliver significant value. So now all of a sudden you deliver this service and you want it to be on brand, but all of a sudden the negative impact of delivering a service that is not going to be operationally brilliant, that's not going to provide value to the end user based on the quality, impacts the interface with the end user and therefore it has a negative impact on the brand. So that's where all these pieces have to come together because, you know, we typically look at very crass value equation is quality over price, right? And traditionally, we look at it and people will start to think, oh, I got to take my price down. I got to take my price down, right? Because I want to improve my value. No, make sure your quality is brilliant. But that's going to come from communicating brilliance at a marketing level to executing brilliance at an operations level to pricing based on that brilliance at a finance level and so on. And sometimes the higher priced items, many times higher priced items are actually of greater value. Because all three things come together in the brand to develop what the brand really wants to stand for. It's interesting too, it's like you got to do all this branding and it's not that hard. You do it and you build it, right? Well, it's not hard because you have Gary, but in hard that it's not a forever process, right? You build it, you lay it down into a framework, you create brand guidelines. But what I'm finding interesting is now you have a whole other job as a founder which is either you or someone on your team is on top of it. So you don't slowly diverge. Gary, you said something to me that, what is it? Compromise turns to a camel. So a camel is a horse developed by compromise. Yes. You know, so like, it's like you slowly start to drift away from your brand guidelines. So you have to have someone on your team that continually like polices that you stay on brand. And we hear this with franchisors, but after you really start to understand that, how important that is. And even if like, what I'm learning is you could have a not so great logo or brand and execute on it to a T. And that's actually better than the really well thought out brand that doesn't get executed on to a T. You'd rather go with the first option, right? Yeah. And what I would tell you, there's a lot of brands out there. And I remember having a conversation with Jeff Herr from St. Gregory at the time. And he was talking about cycle. And he kept on saying, the name is going to be Cycle Bar. And I said, okay, that's nice. And he goes, it's a great name, right? I said, it's okay, it's fine. He said, no, 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 really, it's a great name, right? And I was like, Jeff, it doesn't matter. It's not an offensive name. So it's what we put into the name from a standpoint of developing that brand that's going to make that name stand out. If you look at the Nike swoosh, it's a swoosh. It's all the work that Nike did to make that swoosh relevant, Right? Brilliant work that was done and continuous work. And so, Dan, when you talk about the continuous effort to go off and keep it going, there has to be a brand steward, somebody who takes the brand and always has their eye on the DNA and say, are we paying homage to the brand? Are we keeping true to what this brand's about? Because left on its own devices, 
we all do this. It's natural for who we are. We kind of want to be creative. And then we say, okay, here's a brand. Let's be creative. And then let's be more creative on that creativity. And then let's be, and pretty soon what you're communicating, what you're developing, what you're adding to your service portfolio doesn't deliver against the key elements or the purpose of the brand in the first place. And so now all of a sudden it's not going to be appreciated and everybody wonders why the brand looks fragmented or why the brand looks disjointed, why this piece is not really delivering the results because it really wasn't part of the brand because it started stepping away too far away from what the brand's core delivery needs to be. Now, that other side of that coin is sometimes founders have such a rigid pinhole view of their brand that they don't allow the brand to actually be able to expand into other services that actually do complement the brand's DNA very, very well. So there's this rigidity flexibility balance in developing brands over a period of time, which is fantastic, right? It's a wonderful give and take model, but as long as you stay true to the brand's purpose, you're going to be successful. Yeah, so it sounds a little bit like there's a dichotomy there where you do need to adapt and change and evolve to an extent, but you don't want to go too far where the brand identity is unrecognizable. And But you also don't want to be so rigid as well that you don't change, you don't adapt with the times, which is hard. So how do you manage that balance? You just have a brand steward that is the number one thing is just, hey, we need to make sure that the purpose that we sought out to deliver upon, we're sticking with that same message or... How do you go about policing that properly? It's going to start with the actual brand purpose itself, right? Once we craft that brand purpose, we look at that brand purpose and we talk about it from a standpoint of if there are other services that focus in on this brand purpose, fantastic. Let's continue to do Now you want to execute with excellence, right? Because you don't want to deliver anything that's not executed with excellence. But if it pays homage to the brand purpose and allows you to expand your services, but still deliver against the purpose of the brand, then you go and thumbs up. If it doesn't directly deliver against that brand purpose, then what you're saying, guys, that's going to be too much of a waste of time, too much of a waste of energy. It's not really part of our core competence of who we are. Now, that also said, it does come down to, at the end of the day, making sure that we don't create mental bridges right? There's this scenario that we all go through, right? And we all go through. It's called the curse of knowledge. And the curse of knowledge says that in our head, we have all these things going on. And we make mental bridges that go from A to B to C to D. But at the end of the day, what's happened is that we're trying to create D without, and that's not a direct line. So we have to be very careful that if there's a direct component, a direct correlation, a direct linkage from that service or so on back to the purpose. Let's get away from creating these multiple, multiple, multiple bridges that connect one to the other. It's, we don't want to be six degrees from Kevin Bacon or 12 degrees from Kevin Bacon or whatever that game is. But it's doable. It's very much doable. But it does start with why does the brand exist? What's the core intrinsic value that the brand delivers against its target audience? And then from there, you work it in such that it's not so specific but it does focus in on that value that we want to deliver against. As we wrap up, one of the things I'll tell you, if you're listening to this, you're a founder of a business of some sort, or you're looking to start a business and perhaps get engage Gary or a company like Gary's, one of my recommendations would be to do it alone or with the one 
member of your team who's going to be involved in the branding ongoing. It's very challenging because for me as a startup, we have a whole team of people that are passionate. Everyone's got a role and responsibility, an area, a lane, if you will, that they signed off on. But I had issues where, you know, people, not issues, but constructive criticism about, no, we want to do this, we want to do that, we want to do this, we want to do that. If you go down this path, you'll never have anything. But I jokingly said to some members of the team, look, if you're going to be so passionate about the branding, then tomorrow morning at 8 a.m. I have a call with our finance. Why don't you get on there and we're going to go through the accounting numbers and you can help me with that too and you know all the other boring stuff that you don't want to do. Anyway, you got to separate it. But there's something about branding. People get very passionate about it. And that's why I like this because I didn't create this. Someone else did. So you know, there's a level of removing yourself that I think is important. The other thing I'm going to say is, is that, you know, and I appreciate kind of the plug, but ultimately it comes down to, I know a lot of folks in, in many cases, marketing is kind of like, you know, painting in a room in your house. Everybody thinks they can do it. You don't need a professional. Okay. I understand that thought. But if you're really thinking about it from a standpoint of truly brand development, even from that standpoint, this is a scenario where the folks that I work with, it's still me because with the number of years and the snow on the top of the roof scenario, I can look at things and I look at things very differently and I'm able to work through things, but it has to be still with me. It's not a knowledge that I can impart to anybody else to go off and be able to build these brands. Now I can impart the knowledge to go off and to be a steward of the brand, but building the brands is very special. So yeah, it's a very important component. And it does take a lot of years of going through the science of it, as well as the art of it. So how do people get in touch with you, Gary? You can contact me at Gary, G-A-R-Y, at G-D-J, Gary DeJesus, so gdjbrands.com. And so again, Gary at gdjbrands.com. And again, please note that I don't take every client. I'm just any client. If we're going to have a conversation, I want to see the passion of what your brand can do in the marketplace, not necessarily the fact that it's going to make you a lot of money. Of course, your brand's going to make you money. Your brand's only going to make you money if you're actually doing it because you believe that you can make a significant impact on people's lives in the marketplace. Franchise Playbook is going to actually make a very significant change in the way people think about franchise development. And so very, very powerful. So very exciting. And that's what I'm looking for. I love working with those founders and those brands that are going to make a change. Otherwise, it's kind of boring to be working with brands that aren't just there to make change. I just want to be a me too. I'm, I, you know, the last thing I am is a me too kind of person. Gary, thanks so much for coming on. For those that are listening, don't nickel and dime yourself out of a great opportunity and out of a lot of success. Engage someone like Gary if you think you need help with branding, which really is everybody. Any business needs help with branding. So Gary, thanks again for coming on. Thanks everyone for tuning into the Franchise Founders Podcast and we'll see you on the next episode. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Franchise Founders Podcast. If you want our help with anything from buying a franchise to franchising your business to anything in between, shoot us an email at franchisefounders at gmail.com.